Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. This is a little bit different. It's a special presentation. We're going to go back in time. There's a memory hole I brought up in the last one, and I, I thought, well, let's dig out some examples of this. You might recall here a while back in Chicago, Father Kalchik, uh, parishioners burned the rainbow flag, and the next thing you know, uh, they were wanting to send him off to psychological treatment, saying he's unfit and he shouldn't be pastor. And I can't blame Father Kalchik. He's on the lamb. A lot of history there. But you might also recall that the specious investigation and uh, uh, what should we call it? Removal of Father Phillips from St. John Cantius. It seems that if we're going to talk about the infiltration of the church, what Leo XIII and what Pope St. Pius X had seen, that there's a war. Here we are on Memorial Day, where we recall and honor the sacrifice of men who laid down their life for our country. So it is with some of these priests. Granted, saints and martyrs will always be remembered fondly in heaven, but this battle's not always quite apparent. What you're going to hear today is a story from 1990. I can remember used to get these cassettes. They were traded like gold among people because they contained just beautiful talks, beautiful Catholic things. We don't quite, nobody's going to know what to do if they get a cassette tape in the, in the mail these days. I'm going to give you a story that's going to challenge a little bit what you think. You're going to hear about Archbishop Polarczyk, Daniel Polarczyk, the past he succeeded Cardinal Bernardin in Cincinnati, who was then Archbishop Bernardin. Polarczyk was the president of the International Commission on English and the Language, ICEL, ISIL. Uh, he brought us uh, women teaching, lay women teaching in seminary for the, quote, advancement of the laity. He's the one that pushed altar girls. More importantly, in this story, you're going to hear about that. You'll hear how he did it. You're going to hear a faithful priest who's been a pastor for decades successfully brought a parish that should otherwise have been in debt or closed to be thriving and ostensibly when challenged by a visitor who refused to follow a dress code approached for communion with Clothes that if they were in the Vatican, they would have been removed from the Sistine Chapel. He just merely said, no, come back properly attired and you can receive communion. Receives a letter and he's removed with three days notice. Gone. You're going to hear about it in this story. And we'll come back at the end of the story today. I'm going to give you part one. If you come back tomorrow, you'll get part two. Enjoy this and enjoy the nostalgia. If you've heard these tapes in the past, this will certainly the sounds you'll hear introducing the story will uh, evoke a lot of nostalgia, but also follow along with this story a little bit because we're going to use it to talk about how things have been since Vatican II. 
This presentation is brought to you by Catholic Newswire, a monthly presentation of Keep the Faith, 810 Belmont Avenue, North Hale, New Jersey, 07508. father is in good standing, and yet he can't say Mass anywhere. It's not that he was a bad priest, like he did something terrible or wrong or something against the church. He wasn't afraid to speak out on a lot of subjects priests are afraid to talk about today. A lot of priests, they don't want to talk about abortion. They don't want to talk about artificial contraception. Now, that one in particular, uh, Father would speak out from the pulpit. He talked about NFP, Natural Family Planning. Uh, so many priests today, they're afraid that people won't like them if they speak on these subjects. But uh, Father Roger, in the same way, uh, talked about sin. What was right and what was wrong? Why this is right and what, why this is not good for you? This is not healthy for you? Uh, priests say they don't seem like they, they want to talk about these things. You know, They're afraid they'll offend people. Actually, I thought the whole thing had died down. It was a molehill that grew into a mountain, and... Uh, I thought with the cooler weather and the man wouldn't be coming in shorts, uh, the whole thing had died down. I was, that's why I was surprised that he was abruptly dismissed. He's, he's clear on the social evils of the day, uh, homosexuality, abortion, contraception. He doesn't mince words. He took on every issue and took unabashedly in a straightforward manner. Your action against Reverend Father Greasy is very disturbing. His removal from Sacred Heart Church can only be construed by this Catholic layman as an overreaction of the authority of your office. Surely you know that Father Greasy has stood up for Catholic truth over the some 48 years of his priesthood. The issues over which his position has caused, quotes, embarrassment to the church, quotes, homosexual and pro-choice rights to abortion become the sword of death to his ministry. What a price this good priest has paid for his defense of the church against immorality and murder. Your Excellency, the bottom line in this matter is that Satan and all his legions have won two victories. A good priest is removed, and the forces for evil have been accommodated. There must be great applause in the homosexual and pro-choice camps right now. I do not see how your self-proclaimed style of leadership, mediation, conciliation, compromise, etc., has achieved any good for our archdiocese and the universal church. Father Roger Greasy has been the pastor of Sacred Heart Church in Dayton, Ohio, for 21 years. During those intervening years, he earned a widespread reputation for being a constant and fearless defender of the faith, taking on all antagonists with an effective and eloquent defense of the faith. Yet he was ever charitable, always the priest laboring for the conversion of souls. Being a public and well-known defender of Catholic teachings was not a role he actively sought. It was thrusted upon him by default. For in all of the Diocese of Cincinnati, there were shockingly few voices prepared to endure 
for defense of the faith, the vicious retaliations of the liberal media. Such forthright action by a Catholic priest in the public square was bound to make enemies for Father Greasy in the media, and incredibly, even within the bureaucratic maze of the Cincinnati diocese itself. Father Greasy addressed all the sensitive issues head-on. He fearlessly exposed the errors of abortion, homosexuality, and contraception for the deadly and destructive sins they truly are. Typical of his public defense of the Church's magisterial teachings are Father Greasy's devastating TV rebuttals of editorials by George B. Mitchell, President and General Manager of Station WKEF, on the sensitive issues of sex, education, and contraception. What follows is an audio replay of two of those TV rebuttals by Father Greasy. Editorial, Mr. George Mitchell called for more sex education, contraceptives, and abortions. He admitted that we have an epidemic of teenage sexual activity. How did we get into this tragic mess, and what can we do about it? The answer is simple. Back in our youth, George, there was no blatant sexual license such as we have today. We believed sex was something God made, sacred and special, reserved for use in marriage. And now what do we have? A mocking of virtue, of marriage, of parenthood, of family life, a destruction of beauty, of tenderness, of mystery. There are no secrets anymore, and we all suffer because of it, especially our girls and women. Even Planned Parenthood and social health associations, the principal disseminators of this kind of filth, admit that today the situation is completely out of hand. Can you honestly believe, George, that the answer to this situation is more of the same? This false philosophy, these organizations caused the problem in the first place. They are the problem. Their teaching of sex activity is a fun thing, as a force impossible to control, brought about the very conditions they now deplore. Their sex education has been totally without values, totally without reference to morality, God, tenderness, beauty. They train the children to be sexual mechanics without any reference to self-control. No wonder so many grade schoolers and teenagers experiment. After all, they learned it in school. When our young people are told again and again that they are just like the dogs and cats and pigs, that they must be sexually active, that they can't say no, many of them are certainly going to try it out because they see it sanctioned by their schools. That's just what has happened. They're so conditioned by this philosophy of perversion that many of them think they must be sexually active to be normal. Yes, George, we do need sex education, but sex education rightly understood an explanation for each child, progressive according to its age, development, need, and personal questions. An explanation of the beauty and the wonder and the power of God's plan for male and female. Our youth need to know right from wrong as established by God. They need to know the dignity and purpose of their bodies. They need to know that they can say no and that they should say no until they have the right in marriage to say yes. They need to recognize that it takes no brains or bravery to be sexually active. Any weakling, any moron can do that. But it does take ideals and courage and strength and God's help to say no, even when stupid people laugh at them for being square. No, George, the answer to these problems is hardly more of the same. That would be like fighting fires with gasoline. Again, George Mitchell joins that large number of well-meaning but uninformed people who battle valiantly against the straw men they themselves have set up. Mr. Mitchell berates the Catholic Church for refusing to change her laws against artificial birth control and abortion and blames all the evils of teenage sexuality on that same stubborn, hidebound, unsympathetic Catholic Church. The clarification is simple for those who will listen. Laws against contraception and abortion are not laws of the Catholic Church. These are laws of God and have bound all mankind since creation. They were confirmed 
in writing when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. That was some 1,500 years before the Catholic Church was founded. So you see, George, your argument is not against the Catholic Church, which did not make those laws, but against God himself, who did. God's law against contraception is contained in the Sixth Commandment, which regulates sexual activity, God's own beautiful and powerful plan for populating earth and heaven. The 38th chapter of Genesis about Onan will give you some insight into this law. The Catholic Church did not make this law against contraception. God did. God's law about abortion is contained in his fifth commandment, which forbids the unjust taking of innocent human life. The Catholic Church didn't make that law either. God did. The Catholic Church does make laws for her own members. These laws originate with her and can be changed or abrogated by her. But she cannot change God's laws. Her commission is to teach his law till the end of time, and this by institution of Christ and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. She can abrogate Friday abstinence or clerical celibacy, which are her own laws, but she cannot change the fifth of the sixth commandments and permit contraception and abortion. When Henry VIII wanted an annulment or a divorce from his lawful wife, Catherine, the Pope did not tell Henry, I won't give it to you, but rather, I can't give it to you because it's beyond my power. And Pope Paul VI said the same thing. He did not refuse to change church law. He pointed out that this was God's law, and he couldn't change it. So, George, we really have no quarrel. Your fight is not with the Catholic Church, but with those straw men you have set up. Your fight is really against God. If you don't like his laws, fight with him, not with us. And hereafter, when discussing the Catholic Church, make sure you know the facts. If you don't know them, call any Catholic priest. I, for one, will welcome questions from you or from any of your, our viewers of this program. My number is 461-5450. Thank you. This has been an editorial rebuttal by Father Roger E. Greasy, pastor of Sacred Heart Church, to an editorial by WKEF President and General Manager George Mitchell. On January 3, 1990, Father Roger E. Greasy, a priest for 47 years, was summarily fired as pastor of Sacred Heart Church by his ordinary Archbishop Daniel E. Polarczyk, and was given three days to collect his personal belongings and vacate his home of 21 years in the rectory. He was literally kicked out on the street, an action in complete violation of due canonical process and the basic tenets of simple Christian charity. In a letter dated December 19, 1989, Archbishop Polarczyk informed Father Greasy, quote, I have personally observed your behavior received your correspondence, read newspaper accounts of your statements and activities, seen copies of certain parish bulletins from Sacred Heart, and handled the fallout from your statements and activities. It has become clear to me that you are no longer capable of exercising the office of pastor. End of quote. Upon further inquiry by Catholic Newswire, it became clearly evident that Archbishop Polarczyk had never really conferred directly with Father Greasy's own parishioners, nor with Father Greasy himself, about the complaints filed with the diocese. The Archbishop, it appeared, conducted no serious investigation of these complaints concerning Father Greasy, but based his judgments almost exclusively on third-party and media testimonies. Such action was a blatant violation of Father Greasy's rights under canon law. To find out what his parishioners themselves thought of Father Greasy as their pastor of many years standing, 
Our CNW reporter spoke directly to several of his parishioners in the greater Dayton, Ohio area. Mrs. Bertrand, now that Father Greasy has been removed by Archbishop Logic on short, uh, such short notice, what are some of your concerns about the future of Sacred Heart Parish now that Father Greasy is gone? Well, there's a lot of questions we'd like to have answered as to, you know, what's going to happen to the church. We don't want it closed. We want it to stay open. It's imperative that it stays open for the elderly that have no transportation. And for them to walk to one of the other churches would be impossible. To try to catch a bus that makes it at the right time for them to go to another church would be devastating. Um, and besides that, they haven't got that kind of money for bus fare. So it would work a real hardship on a lot of, of the elderly people in the area. Huh? It would be a terrible hardship on the elderly Catholic downtown. Yes. How do you feel about... Um Father Greasy's abrupt dismissal, uh, actually being kicked out on the street. About three days was a little bit harsh. I mean, I've got rental properties, and to hear that he got a three-day notice, you know, and he had to be out in three days, to me that was that was really shocking because it just doesn't happen to anybody else out there in this world. No, not even in the corporate world, huh? Uh-uh. No, you're given... You're given a, a severance pay. You're giving a, you're given a time to get yourself together. You're 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 given time to get yourself another job. <laughs> you're given time for everything else. And another thing I'm really worried about is they say father is uh, in good standing, and yet he can't say mass anywhere. Not publicly, no. No. And, and Which is a terrible loss for him. Yeah, for and we need priests so bad. And he, it's not that he was a bad priest, like he did something terrible or wrong or something against the church. Well, some people think he was a great priest. <laughs> oh, I know. There's a lot of people that think that. Some of those elderly people down there are still crying. They come to church crying. Tears are just coming down their face. And it makes it really hard. It seems ridiculous that with a shortage of priests that Father Greasy's been banned from saying Mass publicly, huh? Yes, especially when you can really need him and use him. And not only that, but he was our chaplain for our Daughters of Isabella. And we none of us have received any kind of word or any answers to any of our questions that have been sent down to the uh, Archdiocese. You just get this little tiny form letter that says, you know, that they will be doing something, but uh, they don't want to talk to a group or they don't want to talk to a, uh, you to know, like... No response to your inquiries. Well, they're so evasive, you know that it's a no response. Yeah. They might just as well have not have answered your letter. We sent a petition down. How did the petition fare? It was sent back to us and told that uh, they would rather talk to a single individual. Like not have anything to do with a... a so they didn't person. honor your petition? No. Well, Mrs. Bertrand, uh, I thank you for your comments, and uh, we'll keep the good father in our prayers, won't we? We sure will. He's in our rosary every day. Mr. Berger, Father Greasy has meant a great deal to you and your family, both as a pastor and as a friend. What are your feelings about his abrupt removal by Archbishop Pelagic? Well, I, I feel very sad about it, uh... 
he, he meant a great deal to us. He was uh, not only a good pastor and a good priest, but he was a, a good friend and a good confessor. Um, I don't know if there's good and bad confessors, but he was also my confessor as well. Uh, I've grown spiritually uh, because of him. Uh, I was encouraged, as he encourages all members of the parish, to uh, attend Mass uh, more often than just on Sundays. He encourages people to come daily and to receive the sacraments, uh, of especially confession, on a very uh, regular basis, uh, at the very least monthly, if not more often. And, and I was, uh, and I took him up on those things. I attended Mass uh, daily for a while there, uh, you know, early in the morning before going into work. And I can say that uh, it had a profound uh, change upon my life. Uh, I think things at that point in time went a lot better for me when I uh, attended Mass before going to work. Um, it's amazing the things that you can learn about the faith from him uh, through his uh, sermons from the pulpit. Uh, his daily sermons, his daily Mass uh, was only a 30-minute Mass. You know, he kept it short because he knew the people had to attend work. But he'd work in a good, solid 12-minute sermon, and uh, he'd talk about the saints. He'd talk about the rosary. He would talk about um, the sacraments, uh, talk about confession. He'd talk about the pro-life movement. And uh, he wasn't afraid that, uh, to talk about these things. He wasn't afraid that he'd turn somebody off, like so many priests I seem to run into today, that they don't want to talk about these subjects. Uh, he was a teacher. He taught from the pulpit. And I think that's real important today. I think so many people who learned their faith, uh, maybe when they were in grade school, maybe they went to a public high school like I did, um, when you're removed from the daily teaching, you forget about it, and uh, you become lukewarm or you start straying away, and that's kind of what happened with me. Uh, he renewed my faith and spirituality. He uh, encouraged uh, reading from the pulpit, you know, good books that he stocked in the back of church. Uh, he would hold them up during his sermons, say, I highly recommend this particular book and why. And, uh, and of course, I purchased these books and read them, and uh, books about the fathers of the church, uh, books about where the Bible came from, um, things of that sort. You know, he, was, he encouraged his parishioners to do these things, and uh, it was excellent. So it's a great loss for you and your family. Uh, yes, I, have, I, have, I know of no other priest that do, does these sort of things. You know, there are other priests. Uh, his assistant, Father Hollenkamp, uh, was also an excellent priest until he died. Uh, but other than those two, I have yet to run into a priest that uh, when you hear a homily, you can really take it home with you. How do you feel about his um, abrupt removal uh, by the diocese, three uh, days' notice? I think, um, you know, I don't think the archbishop fretted out the facts there. I, he never uh, appeared to me as though he ever made a personal contact with Father Roger. Uh, it appeared that, uh, you know, based solely on the media accounts, which, you know, the media painted the picture they wanted to paint. Uh, Father Roger uh, Greasy was no friend of the media, uh, the secular media, media, you know, the, the TV and the local newspaper. And, of course, the, uh, the local abortionists, of course, didn't like him as well. Um, he was uh, very strong in standing up for the pro-life movement. And uh, so you tend to make a few enemies here and there. He was the fearless defender of the faith, wasn't he? He certainly was. Uh, uh, he wasn't afraid to speak out on a lot of subjects priests are afraid to talk about today. A lot of priests, they don't want to talk about abortion. They don't want to talk about artificial contraception. Now, that one in particular, uh, Father would speak out from the pulpit. He talked about NFP, natural family planning. 
Uh, so many priests today, they're afraid that people won't like them if they speak on these subjects. But uh, to me, it's like, you know, you've got to be um, a good parent. You've got to teach your children right and wrong and what's good for them and what's not good for them. Um, Father Roger, in the same way, uh, talked about sin, what was right and what was wrong, why this is right and what, why this is not good for you, this is not healthy for you. Um, priests say they don't seem like they, they want to talk about these things. You know, They're afraid they'll offend people. Well, I think that's why fundamentalism is, is, is growing these days. Is, is, uh, people need to hear what's right and wrong. And if they don't get it in the Catholic Church, well, they'll go find a church where they do talk about these sort of things. I think it's unfortunate, though, because they don't, they don't have the fullness uh, that's available to them, the fullness of the faith that's available to them in the Catholic Church. It's, it's just a shame. Well, Mrs. Winship, um, Father Greasy's uh, dismissal by Archbishop Elagic as the pastor of Sacred Heart Church uh, came as a shock to so many of his parishioners. What are your feelings about the actions taken by the diocese? Actually, I thought the whole thing had died down. It was a molehill that grew into a mountain, and uh, I thought with the cooler weather and the man wouldn't be coming in shorts, uh, the whole thing had died down. I was That's why I was surprised that he was abruptly dismissed. In other words, if the diocese had just let things cool down, uh, it could have been uh, handled uh, much more discreetly, so. huh? I think so. Uh, what were your feelings about Father Greasy as your pastor and priest? Well, he was very wholehearted in his work and um, did his very best. Um, I'm sure you'll feel the loss, huh? Well, yes, and we're also concerned that we're going to be con. Uh, the church itself has been put on the National Registry, so I don't think they can tear it down. But we're concerned that we're going to be absorbed by another parish, rather than being our own distinct parish. Mr. Doncaster, you had the opportunity to speak with Auxiliary Bishop Garland about Father Greasy's sudden removal as pastor of Sacred Heart. Could you recount for us the contents of that conversation between you and the bishop? Yes, just just briefly, I uh, asked him about the, the three-day notice that was given to Father Greasy, and he insisted that Father Greasy was, was given three-day notice but was told in a letter that he could have more time if he wished. And I pointed out that the uh, local paper ran a letter which they said was a letter from Archbishop Polarchek to Father Greasy, and it specifically said he had to be out by noon on Saturday. And uh, I said that this was causing a lot of a lot of friction, not only with Catholics but with non-Catholics who who didn't didn't think that was a very fair way or fair fair way to treat a, a priest with with uh, 47 years service and who had lived in the same house for 21 years and was 73 years old. And Bishop Garland said that that was an error. That the letter did not say that, and they must have left something out. So I said that I thought that the archdiocese should get a correction or retraction issued because of, because of the friction. And he said, well, the archbishop's not going to comment at all, so there'll be no correction or retraction. And uh, our conversation continued for quite a while, and uh, towards the end, the bishop uh, told me that uh, he thought that if I knew Father Greasy as well as he did, I would know that Father Greasy was much happier uh, in his position now than he was as, as pastor, and I can only say that I was in, in 
incredulous that he was he would think that a anyone not just father greasy but anyone would be happy to be put in a forced retirement type situation well certainly father greasy feels humiliated uh, the way he was treated and certainly uh a rather down note uh, to the end of a long and distinguished career in the church. So I don't think he's very happy about the way things were resolved. No, and, and like I say, I think think not only Catholics but non-Catholics feel that now, What are your own personal feelings about the uh, sudden dismissal of Father Greasy by Archbishop Pelagic? Well, Father, Father Greasy had sent a, a letter to the parishioners before Christmas saying that he, he thought this would be his last Christmas. So, so it wasn't a total surprise that, that he was removed, but but I was really shocked at the way it was handled. Uh, Father Grease is a very loyal priest, and and he was he's only a year and a half away from retirement, and uh, he was basically forced given a forced retirement and wasn't wasn't even allowed to go somewhere else. As I noted before, he only had three days to get all his belongings and and out of his house and get a new place to live. Which Impossible to do. Uh, well, next to impossible. I mean, he's yeah. lived in the house 21 years, and nobody could rationally move out of their house in, in three days. And and another thing, which which I think was was very poor, was that uh, the news media got a hold of this, and and it appeared first in the Cincinnati papers, not the Dayton papers. And I think that's an indication of of where they got a hold of it or where it leaked from. And it was printed in the papers locally on on Friday. So sure enough. The news media came up on Saturday, and they just just had a circus with with Father Greasy trying to move his belongings out. And there again, I don't think he would have contacted them. Uh, you mean as he was moving out, they were there, like the yeah, wolves the, banging at him? All the local stations were there, and and they were. He couldn't even get into his car. I, they, the film on TV, he couldn't even get into his car. Well, that's a disgrace. With without, he he finally told the the newswoman that she was going to get run over if she didn't get out of the way. And they were sticking microphones in his windows, and he had to roll up the windows and couldn't back out of his garage. And it, it was was a, it was a nightmare. very very poorly handled. Oh, it was a nightmare. Well, what do you, what is your um, what would be your comments to um, the diocesan uh, appraisal that Father Greasy was no longer competent to be pastor? at Sacred Heart. You've certainly seen him morning after morning and Sunday after Sunday. What was your appraisal of Father Greasy as a pastor? I uh, work downtown, so I uh, I often attend daily Mass plus Sunday Mass at Sacred Heart. And uh, in the years that I've gone there, I haven't seen any any reduction in his effectiveness. Father Greasy's always been a strong, uncompromising voice for Catholic doctrine. He's always stressed service for the people. Uh, he has confessions before and after Mass, at every Mass he's had, and until he was restricted to, to one Mass a day, uh, he was having three Masses a day, usually him and, and an, another priest who, who died earlier last year. Um, and even then, when he was strict, restricted to one Mass, wherever canon law allowed him to have more than one Mass, for example, on Feast of All Souls Day, he would offer as many masses as he could, just so more people in the downtown area could could get to mass. And his his homilies were were always uh, emphasized loyalty to the Pope, devotion to the Blessed Mother, uh, frequent confession, reciting the Rosary, uh, devotions for First Friday and First Saturday, uh, everything that traditional Catholic teachings are. 
and he uh, he took his duties and responsibilities as a priest very seriously. He was the, uh, you might say, the pro-life priest in the greater Dayton area, uh, known for his pro-life stance not only by Catholics but by non-Catholics alike. And and one thing in particular which which he did, which I think is different than a lot of other parishes, at least ones I've I've attended, was that he kept papal encyclicals and documents in the pamphlet racks, and from the pulpit he would he would urge people to uh, purchase them and read them, and, and I just can say that I've gone to other churches and, and other Catholic churches, and, and the priests do not have those type of pamphlets in, in the back of church, and they don't urge people to read them. Well, in this age of the saint, he was a rare one, huh? Yeah. He'll be sorely missed at Sacred Heart. Yes, he certainly will, and I, I think his 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 problem can really be summed up in his just dedicated to Catholic truth. That, uh, you know, any anyone who who expounds it, or particularly on issues that he was known for, pro-life issues and, and uh, against contraception, against homosexuality, that's not popular with the news media, and it's not popular with other people, and uh, just like the the prophets or Saint John the Baptist or even Christ, if, if you speak the truth and people don't like it, you're going to be ridiculed and you're going to be derided and you're going to be crucified. Mr. McCrate, the firing of Father Greasy as pastor of Sacred Heart by Archbishop Pelagic must have come as quite a shock to you and your family. What have been your reactions to the Archbishop's actions taken against Father Greasy? Well, I don't know that it was entirely a surprise, uh, but our action, our reaction has certainly been one of severe disappointment. Uh, Father Greasy, we feel, is an exemplary pastor. He's been our pastor for nearly a decade, and I've served daily mass for him for probably eight years of that decade. Uh, he's performed a service unlike any diocesan priest that I know of. He's had, for those most of the, that decade, three masses a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and he's taken all the, all the masses that he couldn't uh, find help for. He has a homily at every mass. His homily is down to earth and concrete. There's no no equivocation on Catholic doctrine. He provides literature from the church so that you'll know from the from the mother of church what what her teachings are. And I can tell you that there isn't one one family of childbearing age in his parish that doesn't have a normal fertility rate, unlike a uh, great majority of our denomination. He's, 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 he's clear on, on the, the social evils of the day, uh, homosexuality, uh, abortion, uh, contraception. Uh, he doesn't mince words. He took on all the issues, didn't he? He took on every issue and took unabashedly in a straightforward manner. And the, that's, that's a rare quality in in a lot of our clergy today. There, there, uh, in in my opinion, a, a lot of priests are, are ashamed 
to hear confession, <laughs> and 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 that's telegraphed to, to the to the uh, laity. Uh, they're they're ashamed to to teach in a forthright manner what the what the church teaches, because it's not popular public opinion, and so they aren't they aren't shepherds. They're not pastors. They're they're followers. Firelings, I guess. Huh? Well, Father Gracie never worried about popularity, did he? Uh, no. He spoke forthrightly on all the issues that affected the church. Now, you, you um, were a parishioner at Sacred Heart for, as you say, ten years. Now, during the course of those ten years to the very last day of his being pastor, did you find him a dedicated and competent pastor and priest? Absolutely. Our presentation continues on side two of this cassette. something else huh this stops you don't need to flip the tape over you just need to come back again tomorrow i'll post part two this program has been presented by the bellman forum a nonprofit public charity dedicated to the preservation of clear concise orthodox catholic faith in a confusing world mary conceived without sin pray for us who have recourse to thee